to do, we'll give leadership to that. <laughs> oh, goodness. It's like the story of my life. Right there, the summary of my life. We figure out what to do, we'll give leadership to that. If you would, turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 20. I may actually be a true prophet today. We actually should finish Luke chapter 20 today. For real, for real this time. (laughs) What? What would you say, Neil? Yeah, I know. I know. I know. Luke chapter 20. We're going to be... Uh, in verses 45 through chapter 1, chapter 21, verse 4. So Luke chapter 20, verse 45 through chapter 21, verse 4. And in the hearing of all the people, he said to his disciples, Beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and love greetings in the marketplaces and the best seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at feasts who devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers, they will receive the greater condemnation. Jesus looked up and saw the rich putting their gifts into the offering box. And he saw a poor widow put in two small copper coins. And he said, Truly, I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all of them. For they all contributed out of their abundance. But she, out of her poverty, put in all she had to live on. Let's pray. Gracious Father, your words are true forever, cutting to the heart, dividing between soul and spirit, joint and marrow. And Father, we pray that these words about Israel long ago wouldn't just be words about Israel long ago. Give, be merciful to us. And Holy Spirit, we pray, you would apply these words in our hearts that we might be a humble and sincere people, a true people before you. A people that Jesus praises and honors like this widow. Lead us in the life of repentance that we so desperately need in our sojourning here. Thank you for a good portion of your Spirit's presence with us. We have hope in your truth and its power. Thank you for speaking to us. In Jesus' name, 
Amen. Well, if you look at the passage, just to see what's happening in Jesus condemns the godless scribes in the first couple verses at the end of verse 20. And Jesus honors the widow in the first, 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 first few verses of chapter 21. And as I was kind of studying this and meditating on it, and I think I've, I think I've drilled this into us, and I feel like it is increasingly true for all of us, um, that when we look at a passage like Jesus' condemnation here of the scribes, which, I mean, it feels like we've been in for week after week after week, because the bigger context, remember, is Jesus is... Uh, the, the Israel's leaders are rejecting Jesus, and Jesus is rejecting them. You've heard me say many times, Jesus is done with them, and he's headed to the cross, and the judgment next week in the following context is Jesus pronounced judgment on Jerusalem. Okay, so he's done with them. So he's rejecting them, he's, um, and they're rejecting him. That's kind of the nature of this conflict. But when you read a passage like this, and you read about you know, the, you know, members of the Sanhedrin, and you read about the Pharisees, and you read about the Sadducees, and you read about the scribes, and you read about their long robes, and their greetings in the marketplaces, and, you know, all of these, all of these things that they love, um, that they live for. This is everything to them. They're, you know, outward, clean, kind of pristine reputation, um, that they are the keepers of the law. They're the, they're the religious elites to whom we owe all of our submission for their leadership. And when you read about them, you have to think, what in the world does this have? What parallels are there? What in the world does this text of Scripture have to do with the world we actually live in today, you know, 2,000 years later in the United States of America. You have to think like that when you read Scripture. You can't just, you don't want to just look at it and go, man, the Sanhedrin and those scribes, they were just really nasty people. But I think the way we actually normally read Scripture is kind of like that. Our default position is to think like that and not really think carefully and go, well, what? Okay, if there was a Sanhedrin in the church of Jesus Christ, you know, in the United States of America, among, where we really live, if there was a Sanhedrin, what, what would that actually look like? And so I know I kind of felt apologetic a little bit as I was... You know, I'm not supposed to, right? Proclaim the authority of the Word of God without apology. But I did kind of feel apologetic because, I mean, we have been in Matthew 20 for a little while. And it feels like this keeps coming. Trust me, I didn't feel like too apologetic for very long. Okay. (laughs) But I had a moment where it was like, it was just like, okay, I feel like we've hit this. I feel like we've, we've actually hit this, you know? you know, several times. But it is still, as I was studying, it was becoming still increasingly clear to me. 
You know, that when you look at the Christian landscape, the just kind of the Christian milieu of what we have today in both just kind of the, you know, evangelical world as a starting point, and then, and then in the best of the evangelical world, and then in those, or the best of, the, yeah, the best of the evangelical world, you know, which I have tended to think of, you know, the Reformed Church in the United States as, And then I think about all of those who have written endless articles about, you know, <laughs> celebrity, you know, celebrity pastors and celebrity cults. And, and here's the thing. I just don't think any of them actually recognize that they're the ones who are actually the celebrities. And they're the ones whose articles we read warning us against celebrities. And they keep reading, writing and writing and writing about these kinds of things. And, and so you just kind of look at the landscape and you just go, I don't need another email in my inbox from you. And I don't need another request for your money. And I don't need to know how many thousands of people were converted in your new ministry endeavor last week. Because at this point, when I'm reading this passage of Scripture, and I'm thinking about the way just the whole landscape and our Christian leadership today, it's like a parade. It's just a parade. It's just a parade. And they're constantly parading themselves. And I'll tell you, I am... One of the things I'm most thankful for, and I don't think I under—I would have never thought this ten years ago, but you know that's what you have when you have. Uh, I have so many thoughts right now. I think some of you probably wouldn't even realize that our church was planted from a church that had thirteen thousand people in weekly attendance. <clears throat> you know, and so when I say the things that I'm saying, a lot of what I'm actually—the reason that I'm saying it is because I was very, very close to a lot of the way um, church leadership, you know, those whom we look to for church leadership, and the way, um, yeah, to those whom we look to for church leadership. I was very, very close to all of that. And it is, it really is. It is a constant parading of how great we are. And so you say, well, how in the world did you end up there? Because I was just like them when, 10 years ago when I was 28. You know? And this is the way it happens with, this is the way it will hap- has happened with so many of you, and in the way it happened with me, it's, you know, I became a Christian, and I loved God's Word, and I kicked on the radio and started listening to some preaching and it was, I didn't really have a church home yet, I didn't have pastors yet and it was really helpful to me it actually taught me how to, you know, I mean God really used James McDonald's preaching in my life he really did and um, 
But I'll tell you, one of the things that I'm get back on my main point that I was going to say was that one of the things that I'm most thankful for was how little success I've had as a pastor in my first 10 years as a pastor. Because I'll tell you, I look at all of my, I look at all of my, um, I see young men, younger than me, when I mean young men, I see young men, and I already see them, you know, at 30, at 28, at 31, writing books. And then having to fulfill the publishing obligations of posting them on Facebook, that my book is available, and, you know, emailing, I don't know what their, I don't know what their actual, I'm not that familiar with the publishing industry, other than I don't like a lot of it today especially. Um, but this endless self-promotion to get what they have to say out. You know? And this is what the whole, like, this is the whole thing. The whole Sanhedrin. <laughs> it feels like the Sanhedrin to me. It feels like the scribes that Jesus is talking about that they know exactly how to do everything, and, and so, you know, I, I do fear that when I criticize them, and you hear me criticize them, I fear that you think that somehow I, I was the person who, you know, was godly enough to avoid all the same entrapments that all of them have just fallen into, you know? And all I can offer to you is, we're a church plant from a church of 13,000 people. We didn't do that in protest. You know, like, you know we, we've just, God has, God has humbled us and God has judged us and He has um, taught us much. And I'm just so thankful we're not what we once were. But these criticisms that happen to come out from time to time about the Sanhedrin of our day are... Well, it's kind of just like talking about, it's, you've heard me say this, it's kind of like just talking about your repentance. You know, when you have to repent of your own pride and greed, and you have to repent of the one thing that you're going to be when you start being a pastor at 28, and our day is you're going to be successful. You know, you're going to be successful. You're going to change the world, and... and um, You know, and you plan a church with, you know, a brand new group of people who you don't know, and you have three months to be financially self-sustaining. <laughs> you just do stuff like that. So it really is, you know, when I look at when I look at Luke chapter twenty, and I I see Jesus condemning the scribes as he's been doing, and the Sadducees, and you know, the Pharisees, and the constant conflict that he's in when he's condemning them. I just think all of the parading of how good at what we do we are and how much I want you to think highly of me. And you would think, right? You would think. You would think. With the amount of devotionals that get sent to your email and the amount of books that go through the publishing company to the amount of resources that are available online for you to purchase 
at the hand of this modern-day Sanhedrin, you would think what you would find in the church in America is a faithful, humble, true, generous people. Because everything that they have to say is so good. Aren't you convinced of it? They're convinced of it. Aren't you convinced of it? You know? And God forgive us for all the ways that we've been convinced of that. Because look. Look at her. Look. Look at Christ's bride. You know, and I get, right, in some ways it's just really true. The bride of Christ is weak and glorious. And in other ways, the shepherds have entirely neglected their calling and the sheep. And so what you find is pride and greed and cold-hearted kind of religiosity and stinginess and show. How can those two things be? I mean, if everything that they do is so good for, you know, because they always mean to be so helpful to you. And so I'm really just making an argument that it's just a lot more like the Sanhedrin than we've ever thought it was. And one of the evidences, and the evidence is the fruit of it all. Look at the fruit of it all. I just read that this week. I just read that walk around in long robes and I just thought, I thought that's what my emails, that's the emails that I always get and have got for 20 years of my Christian life. It really is just, look how long my robe is. <laughs> you know? And I really like how long my robe is. You know, because it points, you know, in the, in the, in the, with the scribes, it, it's, there's a little debate about whether it's actually the robe or whether it's, uh, you know, tassel things that they hung off the robe that um, in, is actually, was actually a biblical thing in Numbers chapter 15, I believe. Yeah, Numbers 15, verses 37 through 41. And, and, and the tassel things that were to hang off their robes were supposed to be reminders of keeping the commandments of the Lord. And that's what it says in Numbers 15. You know, so, you know, what, is, what, is a, what does a scribe do, though, in trying to obey the commands of God? If it's talking about these tassels, I, don't, I think like, you know, the tassels on a graduation hat, kind of. I don't know exactly what they were, but that's what I, you know, I envision. They had long ones. 
you know. And I just thought, that's what all of my emails have been. And I just thought, you know what they do, right? Do you know what happens in the Sanhedrin? Do you know what happens with the Sanhedrin? This is the way it happens, right? I mean, every time somebody responds to an email and every time somebody, you know, hits their website and every time, you know, somebody, um, you know, especially gives money, this is like their greetings in the marketplace, and all of, those, all of those points and touches are very carefully measured, and at the top of the top, within you know, these church structures, those are the only things that matter. They love the greetings in the marketplaces. You know, the... And when a who's who gives... I mean, when somebody, you know, I don't know, when the Green family who owns Hobby Lobby gives. What does that prove? What does that prove to the Sanhedrin? It proves that we're really somebody, just like we thought we were. Because people who are somebody recognize us as somebody. So much so that they're willing to give millions of dollars for this or that thing to us. You'll love the greetings in the marketplaces. Father, teacher, rabbi. Yeah, that is who I am. Teacher. And it's like, what, is, what happens internally? You know? Teacher, yeah, that is who I am. So glad that you know it too, because I know it. <laughs> the best seats in the synagogues. I don't really know what that is, but I just know, and I probably shouldn't, it's pro- I shouldn't judge this, but in some ways I, I do kind of hate it. You know, I've been to some churches where they practically have like a chair or two that in the front that looks like a throne and it's very ornate. And that's where the pastor sits for like the whole service. And uh, I'm just never doing that, okay? <laughs> but just imagine, right? The point is it's a seat of honor in some way. In other ways, it's just annoying. But that aside, um, the best seats in the synagogues. Wherever the seats were that people recognized, this is, this is the seats of the really godly people. You know, I don't, did they have them divided by rows? <laughs> it's like, row one, the, the best seats. Row two, the better seats. Row three, the good seats, and it was on a scale from, you know, I don't know, but they picked the best ones and they love to have the best ones. Why? Because they love to have people. You go see if everything's okay. Love to have the people looking at them. Just looking at them. 
the places of honor at feasts. I mean, and, right? Making long prayers. And what does Jesus say about it? It's all for pretense. For pretense, they make long players. It's all, a, it's all for pretense. Pretense. It's all for outward show. That's all it is. It's for outward show. Pretense is like the word hypocrisy. It's all outward show. It's all hypocrisy. It's all outward and not true. It's outward and not true in the heart. It's an outward display and not actually genuine or sincere. It's not just that it's not sincere, it's that it's not true. And so all of this religious functioning that is constantly going on in the temple that Jesus has just wiped out, all of this religious functioning, and the scribes being some of the overseers of the whole thing, it's entirely wrong because how do you know it's just entirely wrong? Because something happens simultaneously in this passage. Did you see it? Because what happened? Like the people love it this way. The people love having people to look to, right? Just like me. I wanted somebody to look to. I wanted somebody to look to to make sure that when I was a pastor, I did things right. You know, the right way. The the successful way. I wanted a man to trust in. I wanted a Savior. And this is why the entire... modern-day Sanhedrin is so addictive for us and why we love it so much is because we want to be able to look to a man too. You want to be able to look to a man. You want a little less Savior. Somebody who's going to just get it all worked out for you in a way that's just going to be just so for, you know, your family and how to raise your kids and, you know, how to think about education and how to, I don't know, make you successful in business and whatever else. And so the people look to them and, but what does Jesus say about them? You know, you would think their long robes and their greetings as rabbi and teacher and father. Matthew 23, Jesus goes into that a little bit. You would think their, you know, long prayers. You would think this is just, this is just, we think we would have been the ones to see through the Sanhedrin's baloney all the time. That's what we think, right? But you have to understand in so many ways, we would have been the people looking to them and seeing these things and thinking, this is godliness. Oh, look, the extra long tassels on their robes. How committed they are to the ways of God and to the laws of God. 
and yet at the same time, they devour widows' houses. So we look to them, and 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 they devour widows' houses. But we look to them, and we look to them, and we look to them. And you just at some point just have to go, what in the world are we doing? They had the whole thing wrong. We've got the whole thing wrong. We're making everything worse, not better. Look at all the books. Everything's getting worse, not better. devoured widows' houses, most likely. They took over the property of the widows. And then they managed the property of the widows. You know, managed the estates of the widows. And if you know human nature, and you know the way these things work, then you know that they really managed the estates of the rich widows. Right? Why would they manage the estate of the rich widows? So that they could devour widows' houses and make themselves rich on the basis of the pretense of being charitable in their care for widows. And I know a dear widow, and um, she used to be a part of our church, and she... Uh, was really delightful in her love for the Lord. She had some theological differences from us, and that was okay. But, um, you know, when I was visiting with her, she was always watching, you know, some form of Christian television, some form of, you know, I don't know, TBN or whatever, whatever's out there. I just hope you don't watch it. Um, I think probably the majority of you do, but don't ever do it. And I was visiting with her one time, and she just said, um, you know, I have given my seed gifts so many times, you know, to this or that. And, uh, and she would say, I was converted through the preaching on one of these television stations, and I, and I actually think she probably was. You know, God will get his gospel out through some pretty strange, even monstrous means sometimes. I actually think she was. But, of course, then it held her allegiance, you know, just like me with James McDonald for too, far too long. And, you know, she said, I give my seed gifts, and I send, I send them out, and I just, I never... I never see it turn into anything. You know, and, and she said, I, I just feel like I just must not have enough faith to actually see that happen. You know, and I just said to her, I just want to deliver you from that. I just want you delivered from that kind of thinking and that way of living, you know? Because it's just devouring widows' houses. First of all, who's home all day long to watch television preachers? 
You know, moms are taking care of kids even if they're home, so they don't have time to sit and watch that stuff. It's the elderly. It's the widows. And so they devour widows' houses and take advantage of the most vulnerable constantly. And we funnel just hundreds of millions of dollars into these things, right? And somehow, at the same time, there was the people thinking, this is good, and these guys are good. And these guys were at the same time devouring widows' houses. And Jesus is condemning them. What he says to them is, well, look and see what he says to them. Who devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers, they will receive the greater condemnation. The hypocrisy of those who have light and knowledge, the ones who... Not, not, not the, not just the ignorant, you know, I don't know, what would we say? Not just the ignorant, you know, backwoods, southern Indiana, you know, not just the ignorant, um, you know, American will receive the greatest condemnation. The hypocrites, the hypocrites who parade themselves in outward pomp and show, the ones who at the same time devour widows' houses. And, and you would think that in hearing, they will receive the greater condemnation. You would think that the, the phrase that's coming to mind is the Christian industrial complex for some reason. I don't know if I heard that somewhere or what. But that's coming to mind. The Christian industrial complex... You would think that somebody would think, wow, with our tremendous level of responsibility and with our tremendous level of influence. By the way, was everything okay? Okay, thank you. And with our tremendous level of allegiance from countless amounts of people, you would think somebody would hear this statement. They will receive the greater condemnation. You would think they would think that they run the risk of functioning like the Sanhedrin. You would think. They would think that. That I run the risk that of functioning like the Sanhedrin with Jesus' church in the United States of America today. And it would terrify them. And all of a sudden there would be humility. And I was talking with a friend today and... He had a well-known, or not today. I was talking with a friend this week, and he had a well-known, you know, bleh. <laughs> That's how I think about them now. Well-known, bleh. I don't even care anymore. I'm probably bitter. <laughs> <laughs> and all kinds of heinous things have come out of his life in the last um, five or ten years, and... I won't go into the details. It just doesn't matter right now. But all the kinds of things that you would think would make you go, if I just don't get on my face and just repent, I, I, I absolutely am sure to just be completely doomed, just like the scribes. You know? 
I mean, that's how I felt. That's how I felt as I think about where I came from and just the misery that it was as I actually, as God granted me the gift of repentance. But on they go, right? On he goes in new ministry endeavors, in new, you know, training of men to be pastors, and you just like want to just facepalm because never, ever, ever do they hear the warning. They will receive the greater condemnation. Now, having said all of that, Don't you and I just want to focus on outward externals? Isn't the default position of our hearts? To love the parade and show, but also to love how people think about how obedient our children are. Or if that's not the case, because you're in that kind of stage where like it feels like your kids don't like do any obedience at all, you know? <laughs> to kind of maneuver yourself, you know? Christians are, can be very masterful maneuverers so that they protect themselves. They kind of protect everything about the outer reputation. You know? Like a sales pitch or something. And I just want you to live I guess I just want you to talk about yourself like you hear me talk about my life and relationship with James McDonald. You know? Because here's the thing. The, the, the reason I know you do this because I watch pastors do this the whole, all the time. Right? So you remember me talking about when um, everything moved from Harvest Bible Fellowship to the Great Commission Collective. Right? Do you know what the easiest way in the world to preserve your outward reputation and your parade, and your show as a pastor, you know, if there's 150 churches in Harvest Bible Fellowship, you know, that have been planted in 10 years because we're awesome, and they all grow so fast, you know? Gosh, I just look back on that stuff. And just go, I just go, Ugh. But you, when that transition was happening from Harvest Bible Fellowship to Great Commission Collective, and, and the reason that was happening was because you know, James McDonald's reputation was finally just crumbling publicly. The way that pastors, right, how do pastors deal with this kind of stuff? It's really easy. It's like the easiest thing in the world. Well, all these things were so good. But, you know, James's pride and greed and ego just got to him. That's what happened. That's the sum total of the pastor's thought about that. Not, I have the same pride and greed. Not, actually, we've had so much wrong about this 
that we've actually made things worse rather than better and prided ourselves on making everything better in the church of Jesus Christ. We're the ones bringing revival, you know, to the church of Jesus Christ in our lifetime. It's that good. Our stick is that good. And we have uh, let money lead our churches and be the head of our churches. And we've been oppressive and we've lorded it over the flock. And we're really just as bad as James McDonald is in many, many, many ways. Our churches are just smaller and our ego just hasn't gotten to us and our influence isn't as large. And so, you know, if everything was known about us, it wouldn't be quite as known as widespread. But, right? And so the way all the pastors did it was just kind of blame James McDonald and just kind of... (laughs) Why? Because... We want to maintain our outward show. We don't actually want. The, the thing we hate the most is, is repentance and faith, and the thing we need the most is repentance and faith. The thing we hate the most is actually having humility. And the thing we need the most is actually having a genuine humility. You know? And so, how are you just making an outward show of yourself and of your commitment to yourself? How are you just making an outward show? How are you protecting your family line? You know? You realize in in churches where we just kind of turn into self-protective, you know, that just becomes nasty. And if you just protect family, you know where the protection of family goes when you take it to the nth degree? It goes to incest. Well, everybody parades on about how much people respect their family. Well, there's got to be some positives in this text, huh? I just got to say this, though. One of the things that <clears throat> I was thinking about perfectionism the other day for some reason. I, well, it was because I was thinking about this passage. And I was thinking the scribes are perfectionists. They're perfectionists. And some of you are perfectionists. I'm not a perfectionist in some sense, you know. I was always like kind of the guy that was like, in seminary. Well, if I get a B, that's great, but I just want to go talk more to the skateboarders at the skate park, you know. <laughs> it was kind of like my, I was like, I'll get a B, I don't care, you know. And by the end of my senior year of high school, I was like, I'll take C's, I just don't care, you know. It's like, that's not important to me. So, like, on those kind of things, right? But perfectionism is just silly. It's just silly. You know, that's like a, that's kind of like a moderate term for it, but it's just silly. Why? Because what does a perfectionist do? A perfectionist is, is, a perfectionist does like, sets the standard of God's law so low on a few things that they can attain and pride themselves on. You know? 
you know, for the really disciplined perfectionists who, you know, the kind who, like, turns the spiritual disciplines into reason for their pride. You know, they're just constantly working, 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 super disciplined. For that kind of a perfectionist, what happens is there's like a handful of things this big, you know, if God's law goes horizon to horizon and it's requirement of our obedience, they, they, take, they take a couple things this big that they can attain and they pride themselves on it and they don't even pick things that are that important. You know, it's like I, I got up and I, for lack of better application, I, I got up, I read my Bible, I prayed, I, um, I don't know, went to work all day long and accomplished all these things and at a very high level. You know, that's one of the things that perfectionists often can do is what they do do. They can accomplish at a very high level. And I did that and I did that day after day after day after day after day and have no tenderness towards their wife. And no tenderness towards their children, you know? There's like two things as a pastor. If there was a proverb, I was thinking about this. If there was a proverb, Say, like, two things a pastor never, never accomplishes. Helping the wealthy be generous and helping the perfectionist be humble. That's why this passage about this widow is just so beautiful in contrast to the rich, materialistic, greedy, perfectionist scribes who have everyone's love. Well, here's this widow, overlooked certainly by the scribes because you know they don't care about the estate of this widow who has nothing. Jesus looked up and saw the rich putting their gifts into the offering box and he saw a poor widow put in two small copper coins and he said, truly I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all of them. She's put in more than all of them. Her generosity exceeds the long tassels and the titles and the strength and the appearances and pretenses of the whole Sanhedrin. And it's just this godly woman who has faith in Jesus, who's probably lived with faith in Jesus for a long time. By the way, young women, if you want to be a godly widow who's a widow indeed in the book of 1 Timothy, that doesn't start once your husband dies. Widowhood, godly widowhood is the fruit of godly womanhood throughout life. And I just want to encourage you, every young woman in this church, 
should be going and talking to Barbie and saying, how soon can I take you out to buy the best lunch you've ever had? Every young woman in this church. And you should talk to her about, you know, ask her questions about what it was like in the jungle. Barbie, what did you and Bim make when you guys were in, went to the jungle? What was your income? Wasn't it like $15 a month or $50 a month or something? Some outrageously lo low amount of money, right? You know? And they moved to this house literally in the jungle. And you should talk to her about all of these things. And you should ask her questions about them. And you should hear about how they actually cleared like 200 yards or something of jungle in order to have an airplane be able to land there. You know? I just like have been clearing my property for the last three years, and it's exhausting, let alone a jungle. You know? And you should just absorb everything. You know, Barbie is just a gem to us. And I know, Barbie, you don't want me to give you any attention from up here, because no godly widow does, but I also know that you're humble enough to know that and sweet enough to know that um, God is going to use you to help the rest of us. God is going to use you to help the rest of us. We're going to have godlier women in their widowhood because of you. And she has nothing. And this is the way, there's, is there anything more delightful than a godly widow? You know, is there anything more delightful than a godly widow? And the point that they have it all wrong. It's like, and if we just go well, the, if we just go well, the, because Josh talked about for so long, well, the Sanhedrin is bad, and we, and, and the young women of our church never take Barbie out, and the families of our church never have Barbie in their home. Like we've got it all wrong too. We may not be stealing. Stealing Barbie's money, but we just leave her lonely. And God's heart in, in, in Scripture after Scripture after Scripture in the Old Testament, He is He's the defender of the fatherless and the widow. He's got a very special place in His heart for both. He's the father of the fatherless. He's the defender of the widow. And so they have it all entirely wrong. And the truth of the matter is Israel had it wrong for so long that Jesus is done with them. And if we make an outward show of our church, and if we even take, you know, it's like we are so messed up. If we even take our, the things we've learned that humble us and make them our outward show, And then these things become the things that are our outward form of hypocrisy. Jesus says, they will receive the greater condemnation. But Jesus just loves to praise and honor this dear widow. Humble, giving everything she has. I don't even understand that, I, I don't think.
quite try to get my mind around that. You know, pastorally, I'm thinking. I'm thinking about my wife when she was in college. And then I got to close this down. Thinking about my wife when she was in college, read some book of some missionary who I think later was just found out to be a crook, but, um, you know, about how everybody needs to sell everything. And my wife in college, like, sold everything in her dorm room, was going to sell, like, her beds and our furniture and, I don't know, just everything. Because that actually is, you know, what faithfulness to Jesus is. You think, well, it can't mean that, right? That can't be Jesus' point here. But the point is, this is a woman who has faith, and she is humble, and she is generous with her whole life to the Lord Jesus Christ. And Jesus praises her and honors her, and she has nothing. And as a church, I would rather us just be a church who has nothing and just give out of that. Out of that poverty, I would rather us just be a church in so many ways who has nothing and just to give out of that than have abundance and give like rich people do. Rich people never give generously. They just give a lot (laughs) because they have it to give. And what do we all say? We all say, wow, they're so generous. And I just think, no, they're greedy. (laughs) They're giving out of their abundance. They have a whole lot more than that that they could be useful with. But they love it. They love counting it and seeing what the interest was on it day by day. And so I would just rather us have nothing and give whatever we've got. And it's okay if we look entirely upside down. And it's okay if we look like we're the ones who have it wrong to the Sanhedrin. Because to them, Jesus had it wrong, right? And Jesus had it so wrong, they were doing everything they could to kill him. And so let's be poor and humble. Let's be like the kind of people that just because we're humble and true, that they just want to kill us. And let's be like the people that when we stand before Jesus, he actually looks at them and says, well, they didn't have much, but they gave a lot more than the rich people. Stand with me for prayer, would you? God, thank you for our our Lord. Thank you for bringing us into the kingdom of your beloved Son and calling us who have faith in Jesus, beloved with Him. Thank you, Jesus, that we haven't just had great success in our first ten years as a church. But we know you have been with us and you are bearing your fruit through your Spirit in us. Thank you that we don't have much and we don't have a building and we don't have much of a a display Father, give us a heart to repent of all of our outward pomp and show and to keep repenting of it. 
lest we end up like the scribes receiving the greater condemnation. Judgment. Father, give to our church in your mercy uh, the heart of the penitent and the faithful widow. Just giving out of nothing. All we have. Entrusting ourselves to the Lord of all who will deal with our enemies. In Jesus' name.